Well, let's get some time in the Word before going to the communion table. We're in 1 John, working our way through the book of 1 John. And we've reached chapter 2, verse 12, which if you're using one of our Bibles, it's on page uh, 1021. So 1 John, chapter 2, verse 12. And... In many of your Bibles, the next three verses, 12, 13, and 14, they actually look different. They've been set apart different, and that's because the author, um, the Apostle John, has done something different here. He's, he's writing along as normal, and then he, he, he pops in these three parallel statements, and, and he says this, he goes A, B, C, and then A, B, C, and it's so different, it's such a different form that, that most Bibles, when they, when they print it, they set it apart different even in the text, the way it's printed. So let me read those three verses to you, and that'll form the, um, the foundation of our, of our discussion this morning. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So we've got this verse 12, 13, and 14. So we have these, these, three, these three statements. You know, I'm writing to you little children, fathers, young men. Then he does it again. Children, fathers, young men. Very different, almost poetic, the way it's, it's put together here. And as I said already, this different form, the way he wrote it, tells us that he's doing something a little different here. Um, there's some repetition within these three verses and these three parallel statements, and yet some interesting and no doubt some very significant additions. I want to make a few comments before we dig into it. Uh, first is we've no, already noticed that in First John there was no greeting. You know, in all the epistles, there's a greeting. It starts off with a greeting. And even in 2 John and 3 John, there's a greeting. But in 1 John, there was no greeting. And some people say, isn't that interesting? There's no greeting in 1 John. And yet, in a sense, this is the greeting. It's almost like John, he jumped into the, to addressing some of the issues that needed addressed. And then he momentarily, he backs up and then he greets them. And I think he does that on purpose because in his letter, this letter of, of John, the first letter of John, it's pretty heavy. It can, be, it can be pretty heavy at times as we look at what he's saying. But here for a moment, he steps back, takes a deep breath, and he talks to them just personally, greeting them in an encouraging way. It's also interesting how it says children, and then it says young men, and then it says fathers. Now, there's some discussion here about, what, is he talking to actual age groups within the church? But I'm convinced that he's not. He's re not referring to physical age here. He's referring to spiritual maturity. 
Sometimes our spiritual maturity and our physical age are kind of the same. We come to Christ when we're younger. We keep, we keep walking with Christ and we grow. And then we become old men or women and we're mature at that point. So sometimes the, they're the same, but it's not always true. F.F. Bruce, uh, a, a trusted Bible scholar, says this. He said, The threefold grouping relates to spiritual maturity, not years reckoned by the calendar. Even if, in the third Christian generation, there was a growing tendency for spiritual maturity and natural age to coincide, as we may find in many Christian churches today, nevertheless, it is spiritual experience that is emphasized. We know that, that just because you grow older doesn't mean you're growing, you're maturing in Christ, right? If you think about the epistle of Paul to, the, to Timothy, and he talked to Timothy, and he says, don't let him look down on your, on your young age. You're the pastor there, you pastor. And then, and then when he gets to chapter 5, he says, now when you're talking to the old men, the older men, you don't rebu just rebuke them, you appeal to them as a father. You're, and in that conversation, you're seeing that Timothy was more mature spiritually than some of the older men. He still is going to respect them and deal with them with respect because they're his elders, but that doesn't mean that they're more mature than him. If we walk with God and lean on God from our youth, then the two all go, all go together. We spiritually mature and physically mature at the same time, but, but sometimes our spiritual maturity lags behind. So it's our, there's, a, there's some uh, expression of, of maturity and progress in the faith that's, that he's talking about in this passage. And then another thing I wanted to, to say, too, is that um, this is for male and female. You notice it's the masculine words are being used. It's talking about father. Well, children covers everybody, but then there's fathers and young men. We know in the scripture that sometimes when the masculine is being used, it's, the context will tell you that it's talking about men. It's meant to be talking about masculine. At other times, it's, it's generic. It's just that in those days, when they talked about generic, they used the masculine. For example, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Well, it doesn't mean that the women have become sons. <laughs> it's saying you're all through faith. But he says, he's being generic. He says, sons of God. That's the way they talked back then. And so it is right here. Even though it's saying fathers, mothers, you're included. And saying young men, young women, you're included. This is, this is generic. It's not, it's not focusing on the masculine. And so in here we see a, 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 some sort of progression from little children to young men and women to mothers and fathers. We can't make too much of that and nevertheless that's what John has done here. He's done it for a reason. I believe that he's reassuring them. He's, he's backed off, like I said, from his intensity and he's speaking to them just personally and he's saying, he's reassuring them that you're saved. You know God. And, and you're progressing in your faith. And as we'll see by the end, there's, there's a conflict going on with evil. So we need to lean into that and participate in it. That's what he's doing, I believe.
So I want to show us now, let's look at the progression of the maturity that he's talking about here and then draw some conclusions from it. Look again at verse 12. Let's think about the young and the old. In verse 12 he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Do you remember the joy of your forgiveness when you were first saved? Amen. Those of us who have been saved many years ago, we can start to lose that. But do you remember, can you remember back what it was like when you realized that your sin was gone. You realize that this burden that you were carrying has fallen off your back. Your conscience is clean. And he's saying here to the little children, you've, you've become saved. You've, you've entered in a relationship with God through Christ. And your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The joy of forgiveness. I want you to turn, keep your finger here, but turn to Luke chapter 7. It's on page 864. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I'm told that in that culture in that time, the table was low. There'd be cushions. You're almost basically sitting on the floor and your feet might actually be behind you. You're almost reclining, it says. Like it says there, reclining. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now she's breaking all sorts of rules. She would never even be in the Pharisee's house at all, but, but she's in his house and now she's doing this to Jesus. Verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. He who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? 
who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You remember that moment when Jesus looked at you and said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Man, I remember it. I remember. I remember. I've told the story before. I remember knowing. I was at a, with our youth group. We were at a, a, a meeting, an evangelistic meeting. In those days, this, this thing was put together. It was in one of the high school auditoriums on a weekend. And uh, we were in there, and I'd been around long enough to knew, know that there was going to be an invitation to, uh, at the end, and I wanted nothing of it. So I sat. I wanted to sit in the last row, but it was full. So I sat in the second to last row, and I walked all the way, and I got in the middle. And there was a movie, and I, it wasn't affected too much by the movie, but when a man stood up afterwards, and he, he did something which, unfortunately, my pastor had never done, was he actually opened the Bible and began to explain what the Bible said. And it, it was at that moment that God the Spirit worked in my life and opened my eyes, and I saw what I hadn't seen before, was that even though I had sensed that there was something wrong between me and God, I couldn't figure out what it was. But then I realized it was my sin. I had rebelled against God. I was worthy of punishment. But Jesus was the answer. I had never seen that. I'd been in church my whole life, but I'd never seen it. And that moment, my eyes were open and I, and I saw, it's Jesus Christ. And I've never trusted him personally. And the guy said, he said, anyone want to believe in Jesus Christ, you come down here. And I clambered over all the knees of all the people in the second to last row and almost ran down front. And, God, and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I just remember the weight had fallen off of me. And I remember this. I remember the, the, the thing I remember so much was the next morning when I woke up, the whole world was different. The whole world was different. Everything was different. Because I was different. I had my sins forgiven. Scripture says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Isn't this awesome? Your sins are forgiven. If you're in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And it says here too, the, the ground of our forgiveness, it's right there in verse 12. W why am I forgiven? Because of me? No. I'm writing to you, it says in verse 12, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. It's because of him. It's because of him. When it says his name's sake, it's for his sake. His name stands for him. And so you see, the ground, the basis of our forgiveness is not ourselves, it's Him. It's Jesus Christ. It's what He's done. It's, it's what we're going to remember at this table. The table, the, the, the bread and the cup, doesn't, that doesn't gain us forgiveness. It's reminding us of where our forgiveness is. It's in Jesus Christ, physically hanging on the cross and dying there for our sins, standing in as a substitute for you and me. It's for his name's sake. You remember that? You remember the Old Testament story when, when Abraham was told by God to bring his son Isaac up to the top of the mountain? And to sac he was told to sacrifice his own son. 
And so quietly they're walking up there and Isaac, I think he was probably around 13 years old at the time, on their way up in verse 7 of chapter 22 of Genesis says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire, they were carrying fire, and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide for himself a lamb for the offering. And we know the rest of the story that just as he, in obedience, was lifting up the knife to slay his own son, God, God stopped his hand and turned his attention and there was the animal to, 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 for him to actually use. But greater than that is fast forward, fast forward many centuries and we find John the Baptist standing at the Jordan River baptizing people and through the crowd comes one named Jesus of Nazareth and John stops, he says in John 1, verse 29 it says behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world God will provide a lamb Abraham said and that's what he did in Jesus Christ the ground of our forgiveness is not found in ourself it's found in Jesus Christ God provided the forgiveness amen oh hallelujah our confidence is Our confidence is in God. Our confidence is not in ourself. Friends, if you're you're trying to find confidence before the face of God, a clear conscience before the face of God, and all of your efforts are in making your life clean enough so that you can feel confident before God, you're, you're doomed to failure. The standard is too high. It's God himself. So you go to the Lamb that... God has provided and allow him to wipe your record clean. Amen. And then you know your your sins are forgiven. But now for the children, look at the last little phrase in verse 13 <clears throat> because we're back to 1 John now because there's two there's always two statements for the children, the young men, the fathers, there's two. So the second statement's interesting. He changes it a little bit. He says, "I write to you children, because you know the Father. You see, when, when our sins are forgiven and we enter into forgiveness of sins, we're entering into a relationship with God so that we know the Father. We actually know Him. A relationship has started. But notice that that's what's said also about the fathers. I want you to catch this. Look at verse 13. It says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. Then look at verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Interesting observation between all of the three, the children, the young young people, and the older people. The only one that doesn't change in what's said is the older one. That's because they've reached maturity. This is what it's all about. That's not different. The children's a little different. Young men's a little different. Fathers is the same. And what's being said about the fathers? They know God. But that's also what was said about the children the second time. And this is cool because it's saying that you as a young believer, you have in essence what you're going to have when you're mature. You've entered into a relationship with God. It's just that the the, the older, more mature, they, they know God. 
<laughs> they know God more. You know, I guess a way to say it is that along with the process or the progress of growing, there's a wonderful sameness. Uh, for a while when I was younger, I played football. And I remember the first year I went out for football. I didn't know a lot about football, but there we were. I was playing football. And then I, I think about the last year I played football. Well, the football hadn't changed into something else. We were still using a football. But I knew it better than I had known it before. And so it is, maybe that's a bad, uh, a weak illustration, but so it is with us knowing God. My relationship with God that begins when I receive forgiveness of sins doesn't later change into something else. In the very first hour after being saved, I have what I will have in the last hour of my life. I know God. It's still a relationship with God. I know him, but I know him deeper than I did before. Someone told me this story about when they were, um, they were, uh, he was married and they had a little child. And this, I don't quite remember the age of the child. He was about four, five, six, something like that. And there was an elderly uh, man, widower, that, that the couple knew and had great respect for this man. And he, he had been walking with Christ for decades. And he had this sweet spirit about him that he just, he just walked with God. And, and from time to time, they would visit him. And they always brought their, they, they brought their child along because they wanted him to be exposed to this guy who was so godly and one time they drove over to the man's house and they visited for a while and uh, they said it wasn't necessarily remarkable but they were in the presence of this elderly saint and then when it was time to go he prayed for them they got in their car and there was kind of a hush fell over the, all three of them and they just started driving home and they were just driving and in the car it was just silence and then this little voice speaks up from the back and he says, I want to know God. Well, they were in the presence of one of the fathers. Amen? Somebody who had lived long and knew God. And he didn't preach to him or anything, but that little kid sensed, sensed something. I want to know God. I've been in the presence of someone who knows God. And that, that evokes something within me. But then there's this second one, the young men, the vigorous ones, that's what I'm calling them. Look at the middle of verse 13. It says, I'm, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, he leaves this to the last. So in the, in the three, he goes children, fathers, and then he leaves young men to the last, and he does it again. So look at the last part of verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. He does more explaining about this category than he does uh, the others. He gives more attention to it. And that's why I think there's something here for us all to note. And it fits with the rest of the book. We haven't talked a lot about this yet, so this is where we start. But in 1 John and, and the 2nd and 3rd, we are reminded that there is evil. Evil. 
evil is part of the picture in which we live. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is part of what's happening uh, then and is even happening now, is that there is evil. There is an evil one. Later, he's going to be speaking about the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, let me read you one verse from 2 John. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. There is an evil one that needs contended with. And that's part of our experience here on earth. And the problem, there was a problem occurring in the church here is that there was factions being formed, divisions, and people were leaving the church. We'll see that later. And they were denying basic truths about Jesus Christ. And they were teaching false teaching. And, and John is, is setting them up in this greeting. He's setting them up. He's reminding them, there is evil that needs contended with. Now you young men and women, you vigorous ones, don't shy away from the battle. Because it's a real battle and it needs, we need to engage with it. Twice he said, you have overcome the evil one. In verse 14 he says, you're strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. By the way, this is part of how you become one of the fathers and the mothers. How you become a person where people are in your presence and they leave your presence saying, I want to know God better. It's because you've been through the battles. Amen? You've actually been through the battles. God strengthened you. you the word of God's abided in you for a time. And, and, you, and you've engaged in battle with the evil one. And the evil one has been overcome. And it's changed you. You become different. The vigorous ones. Overcoming the evil one. So... What can we conclude? Really quickly, I just want to point out three things. For us, how do we uh, apply this to ourselves? First of all, don't look for something different in your Christian life. Just look for more of what you already have. Amen? There's a, there's a form of teaching that says that uh, you become a Christian and then later sometime you have some kind of uh, overwhelming experience with the Holy Spirit and it, and it bumps you up to this other level. And now you're in this other level of sanctification. That, that's not actually taught in the scripture. The scripture says, little children, you know God. Fathers, you know God. Amen? It's just that the fathers know him better. So you, if you've entered into faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You know God. Just lean on him and, and get to know him better. And, and you'll find that somewhere in there you're going to be in a battle with the evil one. But God will overcome the evil one in you. Secondly, this is an encouragement to us to rejoice again in our forgiveness. Little children, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes we need to revisit this. We need to revel all over again in our own forgiveness. Remember David said in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sometimes we need to just go. Maybe that's what we need at the table this morning is just to go right there and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. 
And lastly, I just want to say this. Don't shy away from the battle. Amen? When God's leading us into difficulties and Satan's, Satan is, is, is raising up his head and, and, and causing trouble in one form or another, then get in the word, let God strengthen you, and then see God overcome the evil one. I just want to read this passage to you as your pastor. And I want you to be encouraged with it. I'm going to change the words a little bit to fit. But this is, this is what's being said to you. I'm preaching to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm preaching to you, mothers and fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm preaching to you, young men and women, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm preaching to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm preaching to you, mothers and fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm preaching to you, young men and women, because you're strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank and praise you and worship you and bless your holy name. Thank you, Father, for making us your own. Thank you, O Father, that our sins are forgiven. Thank you, O Father, that, that um, you are overcoming the evil one in and through our lives. O Father, we love you and praise you. And now, as we move towards the, t- the communion table, we ask that you would commune with us in a special way, and we with you. In Jesus' name, amen.